Hey guys, Dennis Farrell here from The Wrestling Perspective. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to say thank you to all the new people who have rated, subscribed, followed us on all major podcast platforms. Thank you so much. You don't know how much that means to the gang and us. First, let me just say this. To the old people who keep listening, thank you so much. We'll never ask for money from you. But what we will ask is, go out there and tell a friend if you're part of a message group or a Facebook group, on Twitter, wherever you are. Make sure you help us by just sharing the podcast. Uh, being engaged, wrestlingperspective at gmail.com. If there's questions you want to ask us or the guests, we'll make sure we get your questions asked or do the best we can. We are fully interactive. All of our DMs are open on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We want to hear from you. If there's an episode you like or don't like, tell us. We are one of these podcasts where we want to make sure the fan is engaged with us. So thank you so much. Enjoy this week's episode. It's the only wrestling podcast on earth with, well, it's just me and DMAC tonight, the four-time Stanley Cup champion from your Detroit Red Wings. What's up, my friend? What's up, Dennis? You know what? It's the uh, it's the season, I guess. Everybody's out and about, or in Michigan, if you're here like us, it's uh, storm season, so uh, poor Petey Williams could power through everything, but he can't power through DTE, so um, the boys are busy. But, uh, hey, what a, what a guest we have. Uh, you know my love for storylines and uh, what a fan I am of 205 Live, so... Can't wait to talk to our guest anyways. I mean, no Dimitri, so we don't get, uh, you know, all the coaching experience and then no wrestling guru. It's just you and I, a bunch of slapstick fans. So I hope you can handle it. That's it. Uh, Lars is on tour right now, so that's why he couldn't make it. PD's locked out of his house because he doesn't have any power. But we <laughs> do have Davari with us. Davari, thank you so much for hanging out. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I was I had the benefit of getting to know you in Nashville this uh, past t- television tapings for you were hanging out with your brother. It yeah. was really cool to get to know you and sit down and, and talk with you for a little bit and, and your interest in even doing this with us. So thank you so much. No, of course, man. The, I've been telling all the people I've been doing the interviews with that uh, when I first got to WWE, a few people did some podcasts and shit that I think they were saying stuff they shouldn't have been saying or whatever. So they got kind of strict about like, who we talk to and all that kind of stuff. So for five years, I didn't do any interviews, no podcasts, no nothing. So I'm excited to finally do all these. Well, I I'm going to start out because I'm very curious. You're, you're from Minnesota, but you're Iranian American, right? Yes. My parents are from Iran, but me and my brothers were all born in Minnesota. Coming up in the wrestling industry. And I might be wrong about this and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like being Iranian is is a face character and you you grow up into this into a heritage where i guess technically in the wrestling industry you you guys are kind of notoriously bad guys is is that something that you you saw coming into the industry that may i don't even know where this question is going but this is one of these questions i've been dying to ask you for the longest time because this this kind of stuff does kind of matter well here's the thing that's what you mean Sorry, I was just going to say, it's Iranian, by the way. And it's also, too, were you born into the heel rule because you were born? That's what Dennis is asking. Right. Did it make it easier or harder? 
does it make it easier and harder? Right. So, yeah, obviously, like looking at guys like the Iron Sheik, uh, who was obviously a very big heel in the 80s. And then even when my brother got to WWE, the gimmick he was doing, Muhammad Hassan, you know, I when I first started wrestling, I was kind of thinking, do I want to do the foreign heel type thing? But I had to be honest with myself. I wanted to always make it to the WWE or just make it a professional wrestling. And I'm, you know, five foot 10, 180 pounds. So I knew I had a lot going against me. So when you have something that you can utilize and maybe help you out to stand, stand out from the pack, I, you know, that's how badly I wanted it, you know? So I said, I, I don't mind being a heel. I don't mind playing up the fact that I'm Iranian and all that kind of stuff, just because I already knew I had a big uphill battle because look, all my favorite wrestlers were guys like the rock and stone cold who are six foot two, six foot three, 240 pounds, you know, guys like that, no matter what they look like, they get a look right away. So when you're a little bit smaller, sometimes they're like, all right, well, what's different about you than some of these other smaller guys? Luckily for me, it was that I was of a different ethnicity. So I didn't mind it. You know, I always think being a heel, you got to have a little bit more fun. You know, you got to fuck with people a little bit more. So there was, it was kind of twofold in that, in that way. That's awesome. You know, that that's one of the things. What, like back to basics, when, how old were you when you fell in love with wrestling and what was it that made you yourself go, I'm going to put everything into this to make it my career? So me and my brother started watching wrestling around the same time. You know, he's five years older than me. So uh, we started watching as fans and obviously he got to actual wrestling practice and training before I did. So we both wanted to be wrestlers. You know, we were always wrestling on the trampoline, wrestling in the living room, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I saw him go on to be an independent wrestler and he was wrestling around Minnesota and stuff like that. And then when he got signed by the WWE, like that kind of, because indie wrestling wasn't back when my brother wasn't doing it. It wasn't like what it is today. It wasn't, you know, it's a little bit more glamorous today. You know, some places have cool video distribution entrances, all shit like that. My brother was doing these really small shitty shows like back in 99 so it was more cool like oh right on my brother's a wrestler i gotta go watch him at the local vfw or something like that and my parents you know like i was just having fun doing this wrestling thing but he was always very serious about it and when he made it to the wwe like seeing your older brother do that you go like holy shit it's actually possible if you actually apply yourself and try hard enough even because he's no bigger than me you know he's a little bit more muscular than i am but i'm a little bit taller than him so he's always been a smaller guy as well too so seeing him actually make it to the wwe it really like lit a fire under my ass saying like you know i, I i'm gonna do this too I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna become an indie wrestler just to like have fun like some guys do like i'm all in i'm trying to make it to the wwe because now that i see it is possible for someone who's not six foot four 250 pounds you know did, did your brother take a lot of the bullets from your parents about getting into the wrestling industry for you? So it was a lot easier since they saw his success and then you decided to want to do it. They go, well, be successful. We'll let the younger one do it too. Yeah, 100%. It was, it was much easier for me to convince my parents. Like, I think it was more of like, ah, if you don't make it, you're a loser. Like he made it. So you got to make it too. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. How about what were you, what have you been able to learn? Like now that you've, <clears throat> Obviously, you have your own career and stuff, but the, looking back, just because he had to have paved the way in some sort of thing. But what are the, because I'm always looking for the little things. What always comes to my mind is Scotty Bowman, greatest coach in hockey history. 
said the big things will take care of themselves. You got to take care of the little things. And if you make the mistake, don't make it again. So I got it like just from seeing both of you guys and how you are similar size, but you're, you're not the same, the same person, even though, mm -hmm. you know, you can play, play the heels and the brothers and stuff like that. But what was it like to this day that, uh, uh, Canadian internet. His, uh, his screen's freezing up a little bit. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, anyways, what kind of, I guess what his question was leading to was. Mine's freezing? Yeah, yeah you yeah. were freezing pretty bad. What are some of the little things? Uh, so, I mean, one thing that really stuck with me, because he got a lot of his advice from guys when he made it to WWE, you know, he was in a locker room with like Undertakers, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, Triple H. And I remember one thing he told me early on that he actually got from Chris Jericho was the moves don't necessarily matter. It's everything you do in between. Like he was saying, the small things in between or making these moments. So that was some you know, pretty veteran advice that most independent guys didn't know that type of stuff. I didn't know that. I was just going out there trying to do the craziest shit possible, just like every other person. Uh, but he told me pretty early on, he said, the moves don't matter. Make sure you have moments. Make sure you have a character. Make sure you really stand out. And if you look at someone like Chris Jericho, he was one of the best at doing that. You know, he's another guy who even harder for him because when he was breaking in, it was even bigger guys who were into wrestling and look at his longevity and how long he's been around, how many times he's reinvented himself, basically doing, you know, kind of the same moves. You know, he added the code breaker a few years later. Now he's added the Judas effect, but nothing too crazy, but he's still one of the goats of pro wrestling because he always made sure his promos were good. His gimmicks were good. All his, feuds he made sure there was something special about them rather than just oh i hate you and i hate you too so when he told me pretty early on he said don't get too hung up on the moves be hung up on everything else that makes a good pro wrestler that makes an entertaining pro wrestler that was something that always stuck with me for a very long time uh in in kind of learning a little bit about your background leading up into your 205 live stint and we'll get there here in a second uh I guess, Mike, you know, did you go and spend a lot of time in a lot of the WWE locker rooms as a young kid tagging along with your older brother? Uh, no, not at all, actually. The only time I actually went backstage into a locker room with him was when he was working for TNA the first time he was there. Um, so no, I actually never went backstage. He always got me tickets to shows and stuff like that. But I mean, people forget that my brother got signed really young. Like when he was on TV with Muhammad Hassan, he was only 21 years old. You know, he was just a kid. So I think he was still kind of navigating the waters. Maybe didn't like, he felt like a kid himself around all these like big adult men that I don't think he was crazy about bringing his even younger brother, uh, backstage because it was basically like who are these two little kids like hanging out here you know he was already having a I think a hard enough time fitting in in this world of fucking men when he's just like a 21 year old guy who just got there from the indies so I never got a chance to go backstage with him but now that I work there or I, I was working there I totally understand those days are crazy and especially at first he was always very busy he was in a lot of high profile segments so last thing I want to do is go there and kind of stifle him or have him worrying about what I'm doing and stuff like that. Cause I mean, look, I was 15. I was a little fanboy. for all I know, I would have been bugging the undertaker, bugging John Cena, stuff like that. So uh, no, I never got to go backstage, but it was, it wasn't a big deal, you know? 
the stuff Dennis does for you guys at the TNA taping. So, I mean, it's the same thing. Right? <laughs> like, so, and, uh, we never get older, but um, how about uh, the wrestling and just to, to get it, who are some of the influences? You mentioned Jericho giving the advice, but how about like wrestling schools or, you know, the mentors as far as developing your style? How does that, you know, come about for a guy? Like you want to wrestle, then you're going to go to a wrestling school. So who are your influences? Uh, so obviously there's a lot of guys who I watched on TV. So I, I started watching wrestling like right at the peak of the Attitude Era. So I have unfortunately a lot of the same answers a lot of people do. Guys like Stone Cold, The Rock, uh, Triple H, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, like all those guys were the TV guys who influenced me. And unfortunately, my brother got to do a little bit of hands-on training with me, but he was touring with WWE, so he wasn't necessarily always around. It was more like I got to send him my matches and he got to review them and we just got to talk on the phone and stuff like that. But there's a independent wrestler in Minnesota named uh, the anarchist Eric Cannon. You know, he was. Among, yeah. 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 Yes. He was rest, he was wrestling a lot um, kind of uh, in the early indie days uh, going to IWA Mid-South. And he was working a lot with like Daniel Bryan and Cesaro and AJ Styles and Chris Hero and all those guys. He was kind of in that group. So he was probably the most respective veteran wrestler in Minnesota at that time. And luckily him and my brother were good friends. So my brother asked him, Hey, would you mind taking my brother under your wing, you know, kind of show him around and me and him hit it off real well. You know, we wrestled a few times and I think he really understood that I grasped uh, wrestling at a pretty young age. So we traveled a lot together. We wrestled a lot together. So he was kind of like my unofficial wrestling mentor who taught me a lot of things. And he's still one of my best friends to this day. We still talk all the time. You know, we still talk about wrestling a lot. You know, I like to ask him things because from when I was 17 up until now, 32 years old, you know, he's someone who I've always been able to like bounce ideas off. And, you know, you have a little bit of a bias when it's your brother. So I like having someone who's not my brother who I can kind of ask questions to and that kind of stuff. Because like I said, your brother very rarely is going to say like bad stuff. Sometimes you need those like real criticisms. And I feel like your family is always going to sugarcoat it a little bit. Eric was someone who could always be brutally honest with me. And sometimes you need that. You, and it seems like we talk a lot about your brother and not talking about him or comparing him, but you both had the same road. And was there and maybe you're not there yet, or maybe you were, but was there a time where you go, all right, he's paved his own path. I have to figure out how to be my own person and, and maybe go along his path, but be who you are. Or was there that brotherly rivalry where you're like, all right, I see who he is. I'm going to trump him and, and be just as big, if not bigger. You know, the crazy thing is uh, we've only tagged maybe 10 times throughout the 15 years I've been wrestling, we wrestled each other one time, which was a long time ago. Our careers are actually always been in different places. You know, like my time in WWE was 10 years after Sean left WWE. So sometimes like when I first debuted, there was a handful of people who thought I was Sean's son because there was such a long time. They thought I was like a second generation wrestler or something. So I kind of feel like I paved my own path from the get go because like I said, we were just always in different places. When I was an independent wrestler, he was in WWE and TNA. And then when I got to WWE, he was no longer there. So we just kind of did our own thing. We obviously always kept in touch, but we didn't do a whole lot of shows together. We didn't tag a lot. We didn't really do any of that stuff. As we got older, we were really hoping 
this time around in WWE, we'd like finally get to do it, but we still missed each other again. So honestly, like our careers have always been in different companies. We've other than when he was a producer and I was talent, that was the only time we worked in the same company together. But even that wasn't the same because he was busy producing other matches. I was wrestling on 205. So we almost didn't always see each other at work either. So I kind of feel like I forged my own path. I think the one thing that helped me the most was having this Davari last name. And he just is very well liked in the industry that a lot of promoters were willing to give me a chance just because I was Sean's brother. So I always said, I think the last name got me that initial booking a lot of times, but I think it was my own work that kept me booked and kept me uh, being brought back to all these different companies. 100%. 100%. It doesn't matter who you are. It can lead you to the door, but whether you get in or not is up to you. So, Yeah, 100%. You know, I always, I always appreciated the fact him sending out emails and stuff like that. So, hey, would you give my brother a chance or would you – when I went to WWE the first time and do a tryout, you know, he reached out to William Regal saying, Hey, can you just make sure to get an extra look at my brother? Cause that's really all he can do. The rest is just on me. You know, it's not like he's, he isn't some powerful name in the industry where he can just get me a job like that. It was really just, Hey, do you mind giving my brother a fair shake? And I say the rest is just on me to be ready and make sure to step up to that opportunity. DMAC. Uh, I was going to ask also, too, do you remember, I'm always interested, like your first match to then when you, like, when did you say, hey, I think I got this? And then, like, what was the time frame between starting and then your first TV match? Because that's got to be a whole different world, not yeah. only from the gym to in front of a, a VFW crowd, but then to actually TV to learn all that stuff. So. For you, how how did that process play out? Uh, so I, I broke in around 2007. Um, I'd say around five years is when I really started like like feeling myself. You know, I always was confident in my ability and I always had confidence when I was in the ring. But you go back and watch some of these matches, you go like, eh, they're, they're not that good. But I still, I wasn't hanging up on it because my brother did a good job explaining to me. He said, hey, there's a difference between sucking and being new. And I look, if you're five years or under, you're still new, you know, you're still just, you're still wet behind the ears, you know, type of thing. So uh, he kept telling me that he goes, it's okay to make mistakes your first couple of years. If you're 10 years on the job and you're still making these rookie mistakes, then there might be a little bit of an issue. But when you're still kind of learning this, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. So around five years in, uh, we got booked for our, he got, he got me booked for uh, Rinka King, which was a offshoot of TNA. They did a, a couple of tapings down in India. That was the first time I had like real TV experience. And uh, yeah, it was a whole new world for me there. And luckily that was one place where we got to tag a little bit. Again, we only tagged a couple of times there, but having someone in the ring with me to kind of relay time cues and stuff like that, because when you're an independent wrestler, you don't have time cues. They say, go out there, tear it up, you know, try to do it within 15, 20 minutes, you know, whatever. Um, this was when it was very strict time cues and stuff like that, you know, multiple cameras. I remember we were, uh, we were in this like tag team, uh, tag title tournament and the two title belts are right there. And they asked every team, Hey, make sure you go like stand in front of the titles before you get into the ring. And he taught me how to like open up to the camera because, 
you know, you want to make sure that it always sees your face, never turn your back or your shoulder to the camera or never be standing sideways. So it's just small things like that that kind of stuck with me. So when I finally got to WWE, I had a handful of those things I still kind of remember that kind of, I think, kind of put me ahead of the pack or at least the office saw right away, like, hey, this guy kind of gets it. That's why the 205 guys didn't really spend a lot of time in NXT or developmental. We got put on the road right away. Was, do you think... Because now that you're you're still, I guess, waiting out your uh, probationary period, whatever. Yeah, 90 days, yeah. Your 90 days or 30 or 60, whatever it is. It seems like uh, a lot of guys are having different talents. And now you're part of this, I'd say, mass exodus. Because mm-hmm. now the, the, the whole industry is going to be flooded with, uh, unfortunately, you guys. And luckily for you, you are kind of the early batch now that you'll be able to get a head start in there. And I think I, we asked Cordona this, and uh, I think we asked Aiden English this, and especially since they've, you know, were released around the middle of COVID, is, is there a worry for you that like, uh, maybe people may not remember me at the end of this 90 days, or do you feel very confident? Like, all right, 90 days, I'm, I'm out, I'm doing interviews now, you're not very shy uh, do you think that's helping you keep your brand out there as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, wrestling's a grind and it doesn't owe anybody shit. You know, there's, I think there's a lot of guys who, if they leave WWE, it's kind of like a woe is me mentality or something like that. But like, you just got to fucking grind it out. Like I did that for 10 years before I got to the WWE. Like I know what it's like to do that. And I don't plan on giving up, you know, I'm only 32. Like I know WWE is on this big kick of like nobody over the age of 30, but I was kind of like, man, fuck that. Like I'm still young. I still feel great. Like I'm still kicking. So I'm going to keep grinding this out and keep on going. So now that I'm enjoying this 90 days, cause we always, we have a saying in wrestling. The only time you get off is when you get hurt. So I said, this is the first time other than COVID that I'm getting a little bit of time off just to chill, you know, kind of recollect my bearings, work out really hard, spend some time with my family, spend some time with my girlfriend, go on some vacations. And then I know once this is up, it's going to be right back to work. It's going to be back to wrestling every weekend, back to airports, traveling, all that kind of stuff. So I'm enjoying this little bit of a break. And I get what you're saying when you say there has been like this mass exodus. So there's tons of guys. But if anything, I think that's to boost the the independent scene or all these other companies is what they needed because WWE was hoarding so much talent that like there was a while where it was kind of like, man, are the, are the indies dead or the independents dying because they're just signing everybody and people are going everywhere. But now that there's going to be some WWE TV veterans back on the indie scene, I think this is going to be a big boost. Oh, I think it's awesome. Like, I mean, my, my question because to, to me, you're, you know, the self-awareness you have and you understand it's the work you put in and like you, you're, you're saying you're 32 and whatever. And I'm laughing because I'm 49, almost 50. And I'm out there at all these indies trying dropping stunners on guys and stuff. Yeah. But I, 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 I love what I love about it is watching people like yourself who appreciate it, that are good people. So, um, succeed but in the way that the forbidden door is now the whole thing in my head is like i'm gonna see you and your brother tag or i'm gonna see you like these things that haven't been able to happen is sort of open do you think about you know like what is your plan or like you know as as far as character wise or like you've been able to sit back and think so um you look at this as as such a blessing but like what is the direction or do you have character different things that you haven't been able to do maybe because of restrictions because of the man or the powers that be 
direction to go into? Yeah, I mean, one thing I really enjoy about like independent wrestling or even companies now like AEW is they let guys be themselves. Like WWE very much, they they say they want like reality-based stuff, but it's really like gimmicks and characters that go farther there. And if you're not getting promo time, if you're not getting vignettes, if you're not getting special segments, how do you get a character over? You know, a character needs all those special things, and that's only for certain guys. So one thing I enjoy on the independence is that everybody can just be themselves. And I feel like, you know, WWE being a PG company, sometimes that was kind of hard for me to be myself because when I'm here and a little bit can be a little bit more candid, I think I have a better connection with people because you go like, oh, this, this is a real fucking guy compared to just some wrestler guy on TV. So, and that's kind of what I was like on the independence. Like we mentioned the chic thing that I used to do the, you know, doing the bad guy thing, but I actually stopped doing like, I think I did it the first three years I was wrestling. And then I kind of stopped and I was just wrestling as myself. And then some promoters would ask me to, Hey, would you do the chic thing more? I said, sure. No problem. But a lot of places I was just doing it myself. And then when I got to WWE, that's when I started thinking, okay, WWE likes these characters and all that kind of shit. So I started doing the chic thing again. But even after doing that for a little bit, that's why I switched to the Davari De Niro character because I wasn't really feeling it there either. Because again, I was like, I don't feel like this is, I'm not being authentic. I'm not really being myself. And in this day and age, like you don't want to insult the fans intelligence. Like I think they can see through that shit. I think they can see when someone's putting on an act rather than just being themselves. And I think that's what people like now. Like, uh, uh, the Young Bucks, I think, are great examples of two guys who are just being themselves, and that's what got over because you see the authenticity in their characters. It shouldn't even say characters, the authenticity in them, you know? And take no shit from nobody. They say whatever they want, and people dig it. Have, have you ever thought, and this might be a dumb question, if so, just tell me, what it would take to get an Iranian character over as a face in the wrestling industry here in America? Honestly, I don't, like... It depends when you say Iranian character, like if it's just me being myself and if I'm a good face and I connect with the audience, of course it could work. If it's a guy wearing a bunch of stereotypical shit, again, I just don't think people are really into that kind of stuff anymore. The The fans are getting smarter now, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to, like you said, be an Iranian and also be a baby face. I mean, Mustafa Ali is one of my best friends in wrestling, and he was doing a great job of being a baby face. Unfortunately, it seems like the company cut his legs out from underneath him for no fucking reason. But uh, he was a great example. And he was kind of pushing that narrative as well, too, saying, hey, just because I'm a Middle Eastern doesn't mean I have to be a bad guy. And so I do try to tell people, I say, I like being a bad guy just because it's fun. I have no part of me is like, because I'm this Iranian guy, I have to be a bad guy. I just enjoy it. And I think I'm pretty good at it. But yeah, I mean, it's possible to be a baby face. You just have to connect with the crowd in a way they want to see you. I got a question about um, now that you're in, you know, your your hiatus or you're taking time off uh, and, lo and looking back, I'm always interested. So if I was going to go look on YouTube or whatever, what are some of your favorite matches or some of your favorite feuds that you've been a part of? If, if somebody who's watching out there wants to watch a few matches, where would you send, like, what would you tell them to look up? And, and, and maybe a little backstory to it and why? Um, so my first program I had in WWE was with Jack Gallagher, and I really enjoyed that one just because that was when I was saying earlier of how you get a character over by having promos and vignettes and segments and all that kind of stuff. 
that was an example of them trying to get two people over at once. So they're trying to get the whole program over. So that was a lot of fun because every time we went to work, we had something different we got to do, whether it was a backstage segment, we got to do a duel, which was really fun. Um, <laughs> we did a contract signing for a I quit match. So that was kind of twofold. For one, we got to do a contract signing, which is like typical WWE contract signing where you get to flip the table and beat the shit out of each other. So I always thought that was kind of reserved for world title matches but we got to do that on 205 so i thought that was pretty fucking cool (laughs) on top of that that led into an i quit match we got to do so i really sink my teeth into that kind of stuff unfortunately the latter part of my career in 205 was just a lot of random matches cold matches and sometimes that can be artistically not very pleasing so the program whole program i got to do with jack at the inception of 205 that was one i really liked and then uh i had two hardcore matches one was a singles against oni lorkin uh who's a guy in nxt and then we yeah. did another uh, did another hardcore match where it's me and brian kendrick against <laughs> oni lorkin and his uh tag team partner danny birch so those ones yeah. are fun just because that's another thing about indie wrestling i kind of miss is that indie wrestling seems to have that ecw vibe where it's like we're not saying it's no disqualification but the rules are a little bit more relaxed so when I got to do those hardcore matches with Oni, like in a WWE setting, I was like, oh, finally, we get to like throw some chairs around, break a table, jump off ladders. We got to like brawl in the crowd, like get a little fucking crazy because like that's what the fans want to see, you know? Did your, has your love for wrestling because D-Mag himself uh, with uh, wrestlers in the past, you know, they say when they're into WWE, they, they kind of, you know they're so busy that they lose the love as a fan of wrestling uh did that happen to you and now that you're kind of free and more time have you been trying to keep up with more or do you just say still on uh, maybe i'll watch it later hiatus um i i kind of still follow it you know i just you go on twitter and you can see all the highlights and stuff like that i don't really i haven't watched raw or smackdown in a long time i know there's a a little faint or a famous quote that was going around like a month ago about how buddy murphy said like he only watched raw and smackdown like through instagram or through twitter or something like that like yeah me and a bunch of other guys in wwe exact same thing like he's telling the truth like i haven't watched a full episode of raw or smackdown in years i mean a good chunk of the time i was actually there so i just kind of got to see but no i just kind of keep up with it on twitter and like i wouldn't say like it does kill the drive a little bit because the biggest thing to me is once you become a wrestler, you do kind of find out some of the secrets of the business, but you're still not in WWE. You don't fully know how that operates. You may you might know how wrestlers put a match together, but that's about it. Once you get to WWE and you see, you know, the curtains fully pull, pulled back and you see how it is and it kills the passion a little bit because at least for me personally, I realized how much your career in WWE is out of your hands. It's 100% up to the office if they want you to succeed. And it's as simple as, are you going to do a lot of jobs? Are you going to get any mic time? Are you going to get vignettes? Are you going to get six minutes to wrestle? Are you going to get 20 minutes to wrestle? So there's a lot of variables that make it a little bit challenging to maybe get over. So that was one thing that kind of like, oh, shit, that, you know, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, if they don't pick you to succeed, then you're not gonna. And, you know, I've mentioned Buddy Murphy. He's a perfect example of a guy who's really good at wrestling. He seemed pretty over with the crowd, but for some reason they just didn't want to go with him. And that was it for him. And 
it's that's what kind of sucks. And same with uh, Alistair Black as well, too. Like a guy who's a really good wrestler. He's really over with the fans. You know, they want to see him succeed. But for some reason, they just didn't pick him. So like when you kind of have that realization of like, oh, shit, someone just has to pick my success no matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am, that kind of it kills your spirit a little bit. No, uh, how can how can it not? And then that's also true is that it's got to be um, as a wrestler where you see, like you said before, AEW, you know, TNA, where you can be more of yourself or develop more of the character to see more of who you are. You mentioned Mustafa Ali as one of your best friends. Who are some of the, like, who are your cronies or who are the, some of your favorite guys to wrestle? Because, you know, the, the thing that I love about it, and like you said, the curtain pulled back, but to me, you're, you guys are the best stuntmen in the world, and, and yet you're stuntmen doing synchronized dancing. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a sick yeah. way. And then, and then at sometimes, it's like I told my boy Tommy, uh, Tommy Vendetta, I said, listen, Two, two grown men that want to whack each other over the head with chairs. I mean, that's not my thing, but who am I to say I'm not going to watch and enjoy it? But, yeah. like, how behind the curtain, who are, who are some of the guys that are, are like, like that you've grown in the business? Um, maybe give, a, give the fans a little bit, you know, behind the scenes, like how yeah. you guys travel and stuff. So, uh, funny enough, the 205 roster, we all got really close because. It took about three months for us to realize like, oh, I don't think the office really cares about this show. So we kind of but we still said no matter what, we're still going to go out there and bust our fucking asses and prove them wrong. So we really all kind of united that roster got real tight. So like Brian Kendrick, Oni Lorcan, Jack Gallagher, Noam Dar, Mustafa Ali, Lindsay Dorado, Drew Gulak, Tony Nice, like right from the get go, we all got super, super tight. And we were traveling together just because, like I said, we all felt like we had our backs against the wall a little bit or we're kind of swimming upstream the whole time because we were all trying to get noticed at the same time. Like, you understand when you put 14 new guys on the roster and we're all trying to get over at the same time, it gets a little bit challenging. And as we start to learn that, okay, we may not be top priority, we all kind of band together and say, you know what, fuck that. We'll, we'll make ourselves a top priority. We'll, we'll do the best we can. And, you know, when you're kind of, it feels like they say you're like down in the trenches together. That's when you become, you know, real tight and you kind of, we all get to know each other a little bit better about hearing, oh, we all have similar backstories. Oh, you've been wrestling for 10 years. Oh, you've been doing this for 10 years. Oh, hell yeah. You know, we all kind of bonded together. So that 205 roster, like for a shoot was actually really, really tight. And they're all my good friends who I still talk to on a regular basis. They're, they're guys who aren't just wrestling acquaintances. Like they're my friends now. They're people who I talk to and I'll continue to talk to for the rest of my life. And, 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 and honestly, like, to, to Dennis as a I know me as a fan and and that's like you said 205 was really like where it got me into to the smaller guy into like the lucha and into the like the guys yeah. but the storytelling and the and the pace and the facts like in in hockey it used to be growing up that you were like six unless you were six foot then you'd never be able to play well now it's changed to the speed and stuff but yeah that that's apparent to me more like the indie shows the indie family at different programs to the fact that you can tell by the product you guys put out so that makes sense to hear that's pretty cool yeah we all we all cared a lot you know we did a lot of 
Because like I said, I keep saying this, but like it's hard to get over with a lot of promos and vignettes and stuff. So when they kind of started taking that away from us, the 205 roster, man, those are all dudes. Myself, Ali, Lince Dorado, Gulak, Jack Gallagher. We were all doing our own vignettes. We were bugging the social media guys to, hey, can you come record it so we can just do this promo for .com or for something? Because if they're not going to put it on TV, we're not just going to sit in the back and be like, oh, well, fuck it. I guess we can't do anything. So, no, fuck that. We'll make our own promos. We'll we'll you know, we used to do this thing called 205 Life where we'd follow one guy around just for the day and just kind of show what his what his life was like, uh, like for that day, you know, waking up in a hotel, going to the gym, going to the building, wrestling that day, how the match go, all that kind of stuff. Like we all really tried to do shit on our own once we realized the office wasn't helping us because that stuff really matters. You know, we really cared about that kind of stuff. We really cared despite how the office felt about it, the roster themselves, we really cared about that show and we wanted to make sure it would be the absolute best it would be. So no fan could ever be like, uh, these guys are just kind of phoning it in. He said, no, they'll never be able to take that away from us. Like bell to bell, like we're going to fucking crush it and anything extra. If they don't want to help us with it, we'll do it ourselves too. Yeah. But doesn't that, isn't that a brilliance to carry that on your resume now to where things have changed back to maybe people are recognize look at these guys look at these wrestling because that's how i see the forbidden matter no matter what it's not only guys having fun but they're all in it together more of the wu-tang mentality like one gets out we all get out instead of trying to bash each other down like over the years like get somebody get on top by getting on top of somebody else so i mean that that it's great for us fans now that get back into wrestling as it's as it's exciting that might have missed this part to go and check that out to see why it is now. So it, it pays off. It really it does. And like like I said, we because damn near everybody on 205 was like 10 years on the independence before they got to WWE. Even someone like Noam Dar, who he was really young, but he was still, he did 10 years in the UK before he made it to WWE. We all had that like DIY mentality, which I think for those of us who are no longer in WWE, that's going to help a lot. You know, if someone was in WWE for their whole career and they've always had promos and this and that, and then one day they leave WWE and all of a sudden now they have to do their own promo and stuff like that. That might be a whole new world to them where they don't know what the fuck to do. But like, man, I know camera guys, videographers, cinematographers, all that kind of shit. So if I ever need to throw together a promo, it's a simple phone call and I can, I have millions and millions of notes apps in my phone of just writing down ideas and stuff like that, because I really care about this shit. I care about this shit a lot. You know, I always have, I always will. And I think a lot of the guys who are on the 205 roster are the same way. We all really cared about, we had, we had real dedication to our craft, you know, and it, it's unfortunate that 205 didn't get to get a bigger spotlight because I never met a group of guys who fucking cared so much about something, even though the office didn't care that much. This might feel like a loaded question or a dirt cheek question for the headlines. And I'm just going to have to ask it, I guess. is sure. NXT had Triple H looking out for him. The main roster guys have the main main roster and the office behind them. Do you think the lack of success for 205 Live was having a major figure behind them to help push it to to the forefront of of that platform? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, the the product can only any anything in WWE can only succeed however much the office gets behind it. Whether it's a single guy, an entire show, a tag team, a guy, girl, whatever. If the office isn't behind it, 
it's going to be really, really hard. And like I said, I think classic examples of recent times are like Buddy Murphy and Alistair Black, two really, really good guys. But for some reason, the office wasn't getting behind it. And it just like that's as much success as they're going to see. Like you need that help. So 205 not getting any care from the office, like what the fuck can we do? Like I said, that we did it. We literally did everything talent wise we could do bell to bell we'd wrestle as hard as we can on our spare time we're making vignettes and promos and this and that but if you present them with all this shit and they constantly go like eh, whatever like what the fuck can you do you know so yeah i i truly i'll yeah if you want that dirt sheet headline i'll say this the the lack of success of 205 live was because the office did not get behind the show absolutely my hey so on that point conspiracy theorists you know on anything I, I like this and i heard this the other day and and i'm always like you know never say never but somebody brought up that that vince might be in on it with the aw because the way he's just released the guys and just giving like <laughs> like like the alistair black you mentioned right yeah you look at that character now malachi black and whatever with uh, and i haven't watched the, the recent one yet but the way that that's the character that you know i mean like you said the talent not only in the athlete but the presentation of his character and i just love it as a fan that hopefully um the forbidden door no matter where the nurtures this sort of talent and understands that but you got is there any like it's just funny how everything's just sort of blowing up and imploding and, and everything with, with WWE, NXT, all that stuff that I don't think it is, but it's almost like, like it's just really, really weird to, to me that's going on that, that it made me think, wow, you know, maybe a little I would have, maybe Vince is feeding Tony. I don't know. <laughs> So my thing, and this is something I've always heard for even way before I was in WWE, I think even dating back to like the 90s and 80s, that I've always been told or I always heard that Vince McMahon doesn't like, he likes to create things himself. He doesn't like things that have already been created and then come to WWE. So I think one issue of the past five years is that NXT was really capitalizing on like, these guys who already had maybe a presentation or an aura to them or a following or something like that. Take a, like, again, going back to Alistair Black, you know, if you go back, watch his independent stuff, he always had like the cool tattoos and the badass kickboxing, all that kind of stuff. And I think he gets to WWE and maybe it's a situation of, Hey, we didn't, Vince didn't create this. So he's not all in on it for some reason. And if you look at some of the guys who've come from NXT, like I said, a lot of them come from other promotions where they're already pretty over they already have a following social media on the internet helps guys have a following before they even make it to wwe so i always heard that that could be a little bit of something against you if you're over for something else or sometimes they might they might want to like repackage you completely which again i think it's kind of crazy because i said man if if someone can get over on their own or or garner a little bit of following on their own without the wwe machine behind them Imagine if the WWE machine was behind them, then you could potentially have a next big superstar. So yeah, that was, that was the only thing I was thinking would just be that a lot of guys the last five years who come to NXT, they've already like been somewhere else. So they already have a following. And because WWE and Vince McMahon didn't create that, he might not be super into it. That's, that's just my guess based no, off of what I've heard. 
But that's a great point too, because if you follow a lot of a lot of what the things are, the guys that have been released and the girls that have been released, that has a lot of bearing to it. Yeah, and one thing one thing I really like about AEW is that AEW is doing exactly that. They see guys have a following. They see, oh, this guy has a great gimmick he's doing on the indies. This would be great for AEW rather than let's bring this guy in and completely change him. You know, Orange Cassidy was doing his gimmick on the indies before AEW, and I, it got such a following and it went so viral that they're like, shit, we need this guy. We need to have that on our TV show rather than being like, well, we see the talent there. Let's get him on our show and then change him completely, you know, change his name or something like that. I like that AEW sees hardworking guys on independence from other companies and say, hey, we want that on our show now. You just spent 30 seconds talking about AEW. The headlines now is Davari's going to AEW. So congratulations. <laughs> now, Matt, I, I said this in another interview. They're doing pro wrestling right. Was that? You're cheating on us? Another interview? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I said this in another interview that I'm a big fan of pro wrestling. I know WWE always says, like, they're sports entertainment and this and that. But, like, Pro wrestling is pro wrestling. That's what the fans like. That's what the boys like. So I say AEW is doing pro wrestling right. So that's one thing that I've really been enjoying about their product. That it just it like WWE used to do pro wrestling when back when it was WWF. You know when it was Attitude Era. That's like peak professional wrestling to me. And I think AEW is starting to get that vibe a little bit of like oh this feels like the olden days of professional wrestling again, where guys can go out there, be themselves, do cool shit. You know it can get a little bit of wild. We can have some blood. We can have some glass and barbed wire and some crazy shit. You know we can. You know, guys can cuss a little bit. Like it just, it just feels more real there. So I would say they're doing pro wrestling right, and that's one thing I'm really enjoying about AEW. Well, my my question for you is, what do you do in your free time? Do you have any hobbies, interests outside of the pro wrestling industry? Right now, no, not really. I just go to the gym and just kind of hang out. Like wrestling's been so consuming of my life for the last 15 years that. It's kind of all I really think about. It's all I really want to do. You know, we used to, when I got to WWE, that was the first time I started thinking like, man, maybe I should find some other hobbies. Cause like wrestling's kind of taken care of. I no longer have to like chase bookings or any of that kind of stuff. I don't have to negotiate money or anything like that. So like my whole wrestling thing is taken care of. Maybe I should focus on some other hobbies. And I never really found anything else that was kind of grabbing me like it is wrestling. So now that I'm out of WWE, like, now I can fully focus on wrestling all the time because now I'm back to being my own brand. It's no no longer I'm just a guy who's part of WWE. Now I have to design my own merchandise. I have to I have to be my own agent and get my own bookings and stuff like that. So right now, you know, I still have about another month, month and a half until my no compete is up. So I'm still taking these next couple of weeks just to kind of relax. I'm going to I'm going on a vacation next week, just kind of chill, you know. But uh no, like I don't really have any other hobbies. Like I said, wrestling's just been so consuming that I just kind of. But I enjoy it. Like I, I still love professional wrestling. So it's not like some people say like it becomes a job for them. Like yeah, it's a job, but like it's the coolest fucking job in the world to me. Now you mentioned like, uh, and I grew up. You know, obviously Stone Cold was was my guy. I used to tell everybody I was Stone Cold then. I was a rock and Knuble was mankind. We used to beat the crap out of him with chairs and hit him with, walking around the training room and just slam him through a table and stuff like that. Um, what was it or do you, like influences, you know, like as far as to the characters that you are or you're wrestling, you know, like as far as any moves or was it, 
like how do, how do like your specialized moves or your finishers or how do you come about to not only naming it but also to just decide hey this is going to be my finish yeah so guys who influence me I, I look at it more just guys who i like to watch and guys who i can kind of study um but i still always try to just be myself be my own wrestler um as far as my finishing move goes i use this move called the hammerlock lariat um it's actually a move i got from cm punk he used to call it the pepsi twist and uh he used to just do it kind of randomly in the middle of matches and he kind of stopped and i remember when i was watching it i was kind of like that's a cool move and i just and this was back when i was an indie wrestler and I just never did it for some reason. I just always remember just mental note of like, that's a cool move. Someone should use that. And then when I got to WWE, you know, there's a lot of things I couldn't, a lot of moves I couldn't do because there's so many other guys who do them. So I just started thinking, I was like, man, what's some shit that nobody does? And that one popped in my head because Punk was no longer in WWE. I don't even think he was using it like late in his WWE career. So I started using it just as a regular move. And then when I switched characters, I was Adam Pierce who said like, you know, we should find a new finishing move for you. You know, we're kind of changing your character. And I asked him, I said, you know, I always do this hammerlock clothesline in the middle of matches. Can I do it for a finish? And he was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's try it out. And I started doing it and I was getting good reactions. So that was how I kind of came along the move was uh, getting it from CM Punk. But uh, as far you know, I, I get influences from different guys, you know, like there's something about like, the professionalism of like Randy Orton, how he like carried himself like a star that always kind of was in my head. But I also love the wild style of like Stone Cold Steve Austin, where his matches could spill all over. And that's kind of what like my indie matches were like, where we'd be brawling to the crowd and this and that, and just, you know, being a little bit more vulgar, being a little more in your face. I always really enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I can, I can disconnect from wrestling and just watch it as a fan and just enjoy it. There's, I, the like who's your influence or who's your favorite wrestler to me is always kind of a loaded question because i'm like man i have like 20s there's 20 30 guys i could think of who influenced me in some sort of way or who i you know who's the greatest wrestler of all time i'm like i don't know there's like 20 greatest wrestlers of all time so i don't know it's a big list nice a long dmax question and this was something i was going to wrap up the interview with my question because we're getting to the end here but uh I've been to a lot of locker rooms with Pete, especially Impact and, and outside of that indie wrestling with him. I've met a lot of wrestlers. You by far were one of the most kindest, outgoing, and nicest guys that that sat down, talked to me, didn't have to, uh, you know, ask questions. We had a nice little conversation at dinner one night. And a lot of times in the wrestling industry, that gets lost on wrestlers. The and for all you knew, I was a fan or just you know a guy that was hanging on the Petey's coattails, which I am by the way. But <laughs> but um, yeah, but Dennis, you've been doing it good for so many years. Like that's you. the thing, right? Thank like we're talking about how long of a career he's had. You've had almost a coattail career for that time. They, Very good at it. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> but who taught you that? Because that kind of interaction and kindness to fans. And other people in the locker rooms, I feel like has to be taught a lot of times. And where did you learn that from? Honestly, I think I learned it from seeing other guys be assholes and watch that ruin their careers. I, I don't want to name any names, but there's a handful of guys who I've come through, come in contact with. And, you know, I've wrestled on shows with them and even in WWE and stuff that they're such talented wrestlers but their bad attitude is what always kind of held them back, you know, thinking they know too much or thinking they're too big for this, too big for that. You know, 
I, I met the rock once at SmackDown, you know, like it was whatever that, whenever that Fox premiere was like October, 2019 or something, this is fucking Dwayne Johnson, you know, big time <laughs> movie star and also legend of wrestling. He was going around saying hi to everybody, introducing himself, which is hilarious. You know, hey, I'm Dwayne Johnson. Like, yeah, I know who you are, dude. Like, but like the fact that he's going around saying hi to everybody, I go, this is the biggest celebrity in the fucking world. And he's still going around introducing himself, saying hi to everybody, just being a nice guy. And like I said, seeing guys who are kind of assholes and watching that ruin their careers, it was very eye-opening to be like, all right, don't be like that. There's, It's only going to help you to be nice to people. It's only going to help you to meet people. I mean, I come talk to you at that dinner once, and now here we are on this podcast, and you guys help me get my story out there. Like, it's only going to help you being nice to people. And I would say this, like, this, like I said earlier, this is one of the coolest jobs in the world. Like, I don't know why some people are such dickheads in this business but like what we get to do is so cool that i said how can you be in a bad mood how can you be upset how can you be pissy to people like go work a nine to five in an office then you'll see how like grumpy you really get you know what we get to do professional wrestling this is the coolest thing ever so i just it's only going to help your cause to network and be nice to people and you know not only in wrestling but just in life well said did you listen dennis I get. Did you, did you get that? Okay. Taking notes. Progress, not perfection, Dennis. But you're working there, you know. But that's absolutely you. You either learn things from people how you want to be like, or you learn from people that absolutely don't want to be like. But you're, you're. I think Dennis couldn't say it better. You're a great prime example of of why I love this wrestling business, and and now uh, why I follow you, and I hope our listeners and everybody else is to know because it's I. It's the same reason of that I go to all these indie shows. It's just, just to watch the passion. And there's nothing like the passion from the fans and the connection. So to hear somebody that uh, I admire what they do, um, admire as much back, that's, you know, enough said. It great, it absolutely great talking. And I can't wish you the best, in, the best in the world. Just remember, guys, everybody out there, karma is real. It is. It's very real, man. So like I said, seeing people make those mistakes and every wrestling locker room I've ever been to, any wrestling company I've been in, it's a pretty relaxed environment. So when guys are still having like behavioral issues in a pro wrestling environment, I'm like, come on. Like I said, this is one of the coolest things in the world. We can all get along. We're all we're all brothers. We're all family. You know, this is a cool, unique thing we get to do in life. So what there to be upset about? Well, before my power and internet goes out because it's starting to storm again out here, sure. where can people find you? Uh, on my Instagram, it's at Aria Davari, and my Twitter is also at Aria Davari. I haven't uh, opened up a pro wrestling tea story. I need to get on that. And uh, soon enough, I want to start a Twitch channel as well, too, just so I can continue interacting with my fans. So just kind of be on the lookout for that. But for the time being, just my Twitter at Aria Davari and my Instagram at Aria Davari. And I will say this to any of the fans. If he comes to your town, whether it's on a major show or an indie show, please go say hi to him because I had so much fun sitting down and talking to you. Like the second you left to go do something else, I told Pete, we got to get him on the show. I, I developed a man crush just based off how <laughs> so I, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with DMAC and myself tonight. Yeah. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Look, anybody who gets gives me a platform to come here and babble on, you know, <laughs> thank you guys. I appreciate it. Well, for everybody Absolutely. at home, the podcast is over. We're going to say our goodbyes off the air. 
Uh, DMAC, where can people find you, my friend? All blue check marks on Instagram, Facebook, Darren McCarty 4 on Twitter. And you know what? Do what I do every morning, DarrenMcCarty.com. I'll be coming to I'll be coming to a place near you, either going to see a wrestling show, doing comedy, getting the band out, whatever else. Oh, and daily, 11 to 1, starting starting August 12th, uh, 11 to 1 with Joint Bell and Neil Rule on Big, uh, Big D Energy. There you go. Woodward Sports. Make sure you go check those guys out. Wrestling Perspective. You know where to find us. Just tell a friend. That's all we're going to ask you to do. Have a good night, and thank you so much for watching the show, guys.